Hello, uh, I am back and uh, we are back. Everybody is back. Uh, hello, viewers, if you're watching the YouTube channel with Vidcast uh, or even Spotify. Did you know that we can people can watch us on Spotify now? Watch us on Spotify? Yeah. Why would they want to? Have you? I mean, you look you look fantastic, but this. I don't mind that. I mean, you're, you're although I'm you're, doing this this look now. No, I think you look pretty good. I mean, your artificial intelligence eyes are really creeping me out still. But the, the rest of you is fine. <laughs> I don't mind looking at that. <laughs> anyway, uh, humans, welcome. Uh, this is the GMS Magazine podcast. We cover board games, role playing specifically and especially the people who make them. Um, and, well, you know, we could say the people who play them. But that has been so cliched out for so long that I don't want to say it. That is true. So um, there you go. Uh, I am Paco Rossi. I've already said that, but there you go. Now you can't forget. Because this is Chris Diaz from DSX Machina. Yeah, baby. Um, anyway. Um, good interview last week, I thought, by the way. I thought it was very good. We are excellent. I mean, not enough people tell us. So I think it's about time that we start telling us. I have lined up our next interview, and it's going to be an ironic interview. I've been planning on getting this guy on for some time. Okay. And I was going to do him today, but I ran out of time organizing it. But we'll get him on next week uh, before everything concludes. Um, it's Jonathan Thwaites, uh, who's a friend of mine. I've known him for quite a few years before he formed Oom Games. And now he's a blockbuster. Last week, mm-hmm. you made a comment about the fact that uh, his game, Stone Saga, released on the same day as the Homeworld IP, the Homeworld board game based off of uh, uh, Chris that we talked to just last week. Yep. And I commented that my friend Stone Saga uh, went up on the same day as uh, Homeworld. Home, uh, and you said, well, that's pretty bad news for Stone Saga considering they're up against a, a juggernaut like the Homeworld Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, so for those people who are curious, the Homeworld Kickstarter is currently sitting at $447,000 Canadian. Uh, that's really good. I think it's getting close to the 600000 which was my guess how much you were going to raise. Oh, wait a second. Do you want to know wait, what's... Wait, 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 wait. I was talking about US dollars, not Canadians. That's cheating. I I always use Canadian. Anyway, do you want to know where Stone sorry, Saga yeah, sorry, is yes. at the moment? <laughs> yeah, Stone Saga is at $1.2 million. Holy cow. It that is, is fantastic. Obliterating. Uh, it is currently the number one game trending on... Is it still? No, it's number two now. A game called Sale is now number one on the hotness on Board Game Geek. Stone Saga is number two. This is a cooperative game. Um, Brendan at Oom Games, uh, Brendan McCatskill, is uh, running it. The same one who did Stars of Akarios and a few other ones before that. Yeah, so this has been one of the fastest growing ones that they've got to. There are 1.2 million from a $100,000 goal, seven, almost 7,000 backers. But yes, we will get him on next week. Not Brendan, mind you. We'll get the, the guy who runs Zoom Games. And I want to ask a very, very interesting question that's completely unique, which is... No, 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 um, no, no, no don't, don't ask it now. Okay, okay. Uh, it, it's going to be a very, very bizarre question okay. regarding associate IP. But that is that, that was a minor piece of news on my list of news today. Okay, uh, I have some very sad piece of news, actually. Oh. I don't know if you've seen, I sent you the link earlier, but um, Holy Grail Games uh, is shutting down. You don't know who Holy... No. I'm trying to find a message. I don't see a message you sent me about that. Uh, in Holy in, Grail in, in Games. WhatsApp. It's a French company. 
Um, because it sounds extremely familiar. I must have games by these people because I. It, well, they did um, a museum and Rallyman Dirt. Rallyman. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Rallyman GT. Mm -hmm. Rising Five. They did Rising Five. Mm -hmm. Rising Five, Rallyman are two games I really, really like. Uh, Rallyman. Uh, Rising Five is a great game. I see. Uh, well, once again, you, men you mentioned a game called Museum. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of entries for that. Yeah, loads of expansions for that. And uh, they had two Kickstarters for Rallyman, which did quite well. Why are they shutting down? Uh, there's been a mix of. Um, Things piling up with increase, increasing um, uh, production costs and shipping to France and from France to the US and Ooh. components and COVID lockdowns in France and China. There, there's been a whole massive um, hoo-ha um, for them, which is really, really unfortunate because uh, they are much loved by a lot of people. I have to say, I've never played any of the games. But uh, the reason why I feel sorry is because um, I unashamedly say that the French probably are the ones making the best looking games ever. Asians are the ones making the most interesting new designs, and the French are always making the best uh, board game production uh, ever. ever. Which is really unfortunate because they do apparently have Kickstarter backers that will not have their rewards. Yeah, they're saying that, and they're trying their best, uh, according to their statement, to make sure that they can do something about that or that someone else can take the, their IPs and run with them. But as of this week, um, at the end of this week, they will run out of their control and they won't be able to send emails or have any kind of access to the premises, their games, or anything at all. And everything's been closed. Bankruptcy. Yeah, they've gone through bankruptcy. Uh, so everything is going to creditors who, sorry, they're going to. Um, and government officials who will do their best to sell as many things as they possibly can to collect as much money as they possibly can to give them to their creditors. So that well, that is that's a, the unfortunate uh, very because you people don't realize uh, sometimes when you especially when you have staff and your and your game company grows, it's very difficult. Like talking with uh, Um Games, we'll, we'll bring up next week. It's the fact that. Uh, Stone Saga might be the first time that they have a campaign that allows them to go into the red instead of being at a loss. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't realize that games that that can raise games, some games can raise a million dollars and still lose money. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate realization, and and one of the things we I want to talk about with Jonathan because Jonathan is basically the maestro behind Kickstarters. Him and I hit the scene at the same time. Uh, the big difference between him and me from a financial standpoint is that he had a big financial backer where I have to do everything basically from my own pocket. Um, and, and as a result, he, he has been able to push further. And that's why like our first campaigns, he ran No Escape that raised 20000 And then I ran Ultramodern that raised 100000 Then he ran another one that I think raised like 40000 And I raised 100000 But then he ran Sars Vicarios, which made a million. And then the campaign after that, which I can't remember now, which I think also raised just under a million. So he's had three million dollar Kickstarters in a row. Yeah. And so it's, it's 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 yeah, exactly. He's created um there've been four campaigns. Still, Mythwind. That was the other one, Mythwind. Uh Mythwind raised one point three million dollars Canadian. So it looking like Stone Saga is going to beat it. Will it beat the uh 
oh yeah, it's 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 already beat Stars Vicarios. It's gonna it's beat it's gonna be it's beating Mythwind. It's going to beat Mythwind. Um, and at one point two million compared to the one point uh, three. Oh yeah, it's only a matter. Of, yeah, this will be this will be the biggest campaign period. And to think that their first campaign was raised twenty eight thousand, and that was Last Man Standing. Yeah, that was yeah. So Last Man Standing and uh, No Escape both raised under thirty thousand. Um, when I was making hundred thousand with my, my Kickstarters, and now he has destroyed me. He's blown way past me. Now he's doing million dollar Kickstarters. But one of the reasons, like I said, it's 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 good to have a high roller behind you. Well, I, I, I mean, as somebody who does most of the stuff I do by myself with with my husband, it it is always a lot better when <laughs> when you have a team of people behind you. So so yeah, and you know, good for them. Uh, I I'm I'm really glad that they're going through that massive success, and long may it continue. So, so yeah, that was my little bit piece of news. Um, apart from the fact that I have received a couple of interesting games that I haven't played yet. Um, but um, yeah, we're going to go into what games we've played in a minute. What more news have you? All right, a little bit of news here. So, a uh, couple things, both in the board game and plus a couple questions here. First of all, the Bank of America is advising people to not invest, not invest in Hasbro. This has been a, an unfortunate announcement, uh, and this has been not just because of the OGL D&D fiasco, but because of how really badly Wizards of the Coast is handling the Magic the Franchise. Uh, people think 2023 is a bad year for Wizards of the Coast. 2022 was a very bad year as well, not for D&D, but for Magic. So they screwed over Magic in 2022, and they're screwing over D&D in 2023. And as a result, Bank of America is advising people to not invest in the company they think it's going to continue going downhill um wow that is <laughs> quite amazing that's point one on a related topic kyle brink is on the apology tour uh, i made a comment to you and uh, to see about getting uh, kyle brink on to our podcast he i don't know whether or not he is responding to requests but because it seems like they are reaching out to very specific reviewers Three Black Halflings was the one that got everyone's attention. Uh, Ginny got an interview as well. So there have been at least two, and I think there's at least two more. And I have people that have said, I got an email from Cal Brink. And they haven't said why they've got an email from Cal Brink. It's only just that they've gotten an email from Cal Brink. Uh, so yeah, so Cal Brink is on the apology tour. I call it the apology tour. It's a little condescending. But yeah, he is on a tour of podcasts and... It's basically, it's going to sound like a press junket in the way that he's going to be answering the same questions over and over again. And that's why I was really hoping on getting him on our podcast, because I don't want to ask him those questions. I'm like, I want to have every question that you've been asked, and I want to write those down, and I want to put them aside. It's going to ask you different questions, because I want to focus primarily on the future. Everyone's questions are, how did, it, how did this happen? What, like, it's always about trying to explain the past, and I would like to interview him, talk about, okay, that's the past. Let's just put that there for a second, and let's talk about the future. Let's talk about where we're going to go from here. And both three Black, black Halflings and Ginny did not ask those questions. They did not ask the questions. It was always about the past uh, and not the future, in my opinion. Well, the, the, in fairness, they probably don't know. I mean, but they, they are right now likely to be in a big, massive, cloud of uncertainty as to what's going to happen in in the future um, so i'm not surprised that they don't want to answer that or they don't want to 
be asked that's that sort of questions because they're very dangerous because anything that they say could be um i'm not going to say mis misconstrued or misinterpreted but simply if what they say doesn't happen then they could be called to accountability for it so well yeah the thing about Ginny and three black halflings have both stated that um they were under no restrictions on the interview they lay down rules the fact that they can ask whatever they want uh, and there were no pre-screened questions so and Ginny said very specifically that she owned her video and she could and she did not need to edit anything out of it um so like so Kyle is definitely going into these unobstructed unfiltered interviews um I'm I'm a little upset with the interviewers post game show, three black halflings. Uh, I think after the show they kind of they kind of slagged on him a little bit. I thought that was a little unprofessional. Um, I you know if you're doing the interview, let other people do a hot take. Don't make your hot take right after the guy goes off camera. Um, because they're not they're gonna say like they didn't really slag him. I was like yeah, you you basically called him. A, you basically said he was bullshitting you in in a couple statements. It was implied. Uh, I don't know about Ginny D either, uh, just because it, it was, I, 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 once again, I was hearing the same questions and I was going, okay, okay we're, we're hearing the same questions. Uh, but yes, that was the other thing. And that's why I'm really hoping uh, being able to get in touch with Kyle Brink in some capacity by saying, look, you've been answering all these questions. We would like to, answer, to ask the questions about the future rather than the past. We want to see what's going to happen going forward. Uh, well, I don't know the man, um, and I don't know how exactly to get hold of him, but I will ask around and see if anybody knows him. Uh, I know people in Wizards, I know people in Watsi, so I can I can check and see if I can find somebody who would be willing to come and talk to us. Yeah. On new news, I got three bits about AI oh. uh, that are kind of related. <clears throat> One is not really news per se, but these are things that are happening. Uh, chat GPT is getting so large, they actually finally have to limit people's access to the open AI system they're using. And it's because it's gotten very advanced uh, to the point now they're having a paid service. So you can pay and you get priority access. I wonder, I wonder I know, if uh, Microsoft buying it has anything to do with that. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but I did know that... Um, I can already see the value in writing. Um, there was already a guy who got some criticism, and I went to defend him, but a lot of people did. A guy that used an AI to run the campaign. He was running the like, so basically he was running it <clears throat> with his players, and he let the uh, Open AI, the Chat GPT, dictate the adventure and how it would go. And then he ran the text into a voice synthesizer, so everything was artificial. Everything was being run, so you didn't even hear the GM's voice. And he posted a video about the narration that Chat GPT, uh, and and somebody said, "Well, this has no heart." I go, "Yes, but if, if, if you only know that because someone told you, mm -hmm. if you placed it and said, no, this is my real voice. I wrote this,' you would know because I didn't know." And I've been looking at Chat GPT. I go, "Okay, is there a way?" And as someone who's been analyzing these things, I said a couple of weeks ago that I sent it all the information on this new story I'm writing. And it came back and started creating potential other plot threads. Most of them were not very good. And when it comes to writing dialogue, it's writes like a 10-year-old. It's not a very good writer. Mm. It's ironic. And this is absolutely true. 
of ChatGPT. I'll enter a prompt for ChatGPT. I'll get a huge body of text. Then I'll move it into my document and have Grammarly search. And Grammarly will go, well, this isn't written very good. Here are 14 alterations to ChatGPT's own grammar. So Grammarly finds that uh, ChatGPT is not a very good writer. But when you get ChatGPT to do, do analytical, like Wikipedia, like flat stuff like that, uh, which is very much how a dungeon adventure is written. It's not flowery. It's designed to be more direct. It gets astoundingly really effective. And if you present it your whole adventure, because you can isolate your chats by subject. So if you create an adventure and say post-apocalyptic fantasy, for example, um, and you enter it everything you know about your setting, everything you've done, dozens of pages, it will remember all of that. And you can say, hey, create a character for this setting, a non-player character for this setting. It says, this is the person's name. This is their origin. This is what they look like. This is their past. And so um, since I'm, I'm releasing a bunch of older modules that I created online, uh, Biohazard, which is the zombie apocalypse, I went in there and said, here is the NPC's backstory. It's two sentences. Expand it. And I would get two paragraphs out of those two sentences that still contained all the same information and more, which worked within that setting. But it remembers the setting. And so I'll say, like, for example, I'll say, I'll need a descriptive slug, you know, which is these little boxes and modules that the GM would read out to the players. And I say, well, this is the description. Write me a descriptive slug, and it'll write you a descriptive slug. I'll, of course, take that, put it into Grammarly, and have Grammarly fix it, and then I'll make sure it's what I want to say, and then I'll put it back into the module. But it is shocking how ChatGPT may, even though Wizards of the Coast is not officially creating AI-driven DMs, it seems the players don't need Watsi and they're doing it themselves by using a chat GPT to fill in missing blanks and adventures to be published or running it to a GM to get advice on what to do next. And I have to admit, if, if chat GPT had a voice recognition system and I was running a game, I would look at the, at, I would listen to all the, what the players are saying, look at chat GPT, think about what I would think of as a solution see what ChatGPT's alternative solution is and figure out, oh, is maybe I should try this instead of this. It's an interesting thing, the fact that there is some future. Ironically, some issues with ChatGPT are already starting to rise up. There's a program called Replica, mm -hmm. which is an AI companion app. It is now being taken to court in Italy for what they consider to be inappropriate content. They say that minors can use it, and because there is sexting and other inappropriate exchanges, they are basically saying, unless you change it, we're going to fine you $20 million. So in a reactionary issue, Replica removed all erotic role-playing out of the system, which has now alienated the 10 million users that are adult and paying for it that, that want that system. It's a very interesting thing, and Replica is not doing very good now. They've, their reviews have been tanking. They used to be at a 4.5. They're sitting at a 3.5 on the uh, Google Play Store. Well, um, uh, so that's an interesting thing about AI. Right. Um, with regards to GPT, two things. Firstly, this uh, past week, uh, during my uh, breaks at work, I've been using it quite a lot, uh, partly out of curiosity and partly out of sheer laziness, to generate uh, 20 different locations for a Call of Cthulhu adventure. And each one of those locations, uh, generate five characters that somehow interact uh, or live within those locations. 
And for those characters, I asked it to create a longish bio for each one of them and a physical appearance. Um, I have done out of the 20 locations that I generated, I think I have done characters for 13 of those locations. So that's a lot of characters. The one thing is that when you begin to ask it to generate the same thing, as in characters, you start to see an awful lot of commonality between the descriptions. So it, used, it uses, for instance, the word ragged quite a lot. And the word the mysterious whatever is being used quite a lot. So the mysterious stranger, uh, the mysterious librarian, um, the mysterious elder woman. That happens an awful lot and you start to see a lot of similarities. Now, in this case, I don't care because this is just for my own use. This is just literary, so I don't have to um, invent and spend an awful lot of time thinking about uh, locations for my friends. Um, but if you're going to use it as a uh, as a kind of for-publish work, then that needs to be taken into account because the amount of time that you're going to spend doing uh, proofreading and editing is going to be enormous. Truly, truly enormous. There was, um, uh, with regards to how good it's becoming, I saw a video uh, which I thought was really ooh, disconcerting and very troubling about this doctor. And the doctor, um, asked GPT to create a diagnostic based on some symptoms. Uh, the symptoms would usually be associated with uh, embolias, with you know um, what happens when you get a little bubble of air in a vein and that reaches your lungs. But ChatGPT said it could be mitochondrosis or something similar. I don't remember the word. Um, also, something condosis, uh, something completely different. And the doctor said, oh, wait a second. This is a very precise and correct diagnostic because all of these things are mostly associated with long embolia. That's the word in Spanish. I don't know in English what it would be. Uh, but this other diagnostic would actually be more accurate, but less common. So he then went on to ask ChatGPT to give the sources that ChatGPT had used to reach that conclusion. And ChatGPT provided with a very scientific paper. When he went on to look the names of the people that ChatGPT had said, wrote that paper, they were nowhere to be found. He looked in medical journals and that essay did not exist. But when he looked at the names and the surnames of the doctors, he did realize that those names and surnames separately were actually present in some of those essays that he'd been taking a look at. So the conclusion that he reached is that ChatGPT, rather than actually citing a source, 
decided to invent a completely new essay instead of saying this is where I got it from. What ChatGPT actually did was to take a look at all these papers, put two and two together and reach a conclusion that was correct, but was unable or unwilling, because we don't know how it's been programmed, to simply say, I got it from here. So he says, you can rely on having some really sound logical uh, reasoning, as a thing is the word I was looking for, but never trust the data it gives you because it will be invented. Even if a diagnostic, you know, if a thought process leads to the right conclusion, the reasoning behind it will be completely invented. And I thought that is as hilarious as it is absolutely terrifying. So we, we need to be very careful with what ChatGPT is going to be doing in the future because it's becoming scaringly good at sounding very, very knowledgeable and true to life, and it is not. I can hear you, you're muted. For me, uh, it was, um, I, I'm doing an adventure that's originally was written in 2014 and so forth, and I've updated it for the new release, and it's a module set in 2010 Baghdad. It's a military science fiction story that throws in all the political strife of that time period and then says, and now aliens invade. And But I wanted to make sure that I threw, wanted to throw in a disclaimer and a few other things, and I said, hey, give me a basic backstory of the actual history. And so I, I wanted to tell people, like, this is set during this time, 2010 in Baghdad. Here's what the situation was like back then if you don't know about it. So I asked him, hey, tell me what this history is. I did it, opened, looked over and said, yep, that's basically correct. Um, so I, I, it, it's one of those situations that, it, that it's definitely a useful, but I think you definitely need a brain. Like, I would never rely on chat GPT to make a decision that a human couldn't override. But it's, it, it, is, it is absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm um that um uh that these are that that this is a future in, in a completely related thing though uh so i said i am releasing these two modules and these were really originally written in 2012 when ultra one came out and so one story was set in baghdad which it was present day but now it's like i'm setting it in the past so i thought of rewriting the whole story and said, no, 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 you know what? I'm not going to take a modern uh, parable. I'm going to take it, I'm going to still set it back, but I'll st say, state specifically this is set in an alternate Baghdad during the US occupation, about two years before they started to pull out. They started to pull out in 2012 or 2013 or so. Um, and they were 100% out by 2014. So this was just before the pullout of the American forces. And, and so it's basically at the situation before everything kind of went, you know, everything was getting really bad. And But I wanted to put a disclaimer saying, look, Here's a here's a content warning because there could be some things that are very very controversial, blah blah blah. Then the other module doing is called Biohouse, which is a zombie apocalypse. Now this one's again written in 2012 or so, but the twist about this story was once again it's a zombie virus, pretty common. You see a lot of stories that have a virus as a source of the zombie apocalypse, um, and my twist was it was the cure that caused the zombie apocalypse and not the zombie virus itself. It was when this this virus, this virus, this zombie virus was in fact something that people can recover from. But when you got the vaccine, that's when it turns you all into, vamp into zombies. 
And I'd make a disclaimer going, okay, folks, this was written in a time where I could get away with a plot thread like this. But to be perfectly, 10 years later after this was written, this is a hugely controversial mm. plot point. And I said, you know what? This plot is so absurd. It is so ridiculous. It's almost a satirical middle finger to those people who are anti-vaccine. So I made a disclaimer saying, I am not anti-vaccine. This is a satirical middle finger to people who, who are anti-vaccine. But, but I'm leaving the story untouched. But with that disclaimer going, this is not me stressing <laughs> the vaccines are bad. This is me stressing how insanely ridiculous you all sound. Uh, so that's an interesting little point that I'm releasing these modules and using ChatGPT to enhance it. Um, and watch watch um, out one thing that we need to, at some point, uh, we should get a, a lawyer. Um, because I was talking about this with some people at work who are very, very much into figuring out what rules and regulations are like or are going to be like. And part of the job is to find out what those are going to be like around AIs. And I asked about using uh, ChatGPT generated work in a generated text in our work. And they said that that could be a huge minefield because even if the result of using ChatGPT cannot have copyright, but the authorization from the owners of the technology to use it for commercial purposes could be something that could be argued in court. So basically, so ChatGPT is saying, you didn't pay me to be able to use my uh, technology commercially, and therefore I'm going to sue you for using the product of my technology yeah. without permission. As someone that has been involved with this, both with the Wizard of the Coast and so forth, I know, like from my whatever, so you better be careful. Listen to this, I go, and knowing the history, I know perfectly well that, for example, uh, because we've gone through this with music and we've gone through this with um, with with other aspects in the digital industry, um, I think it's a very personally. I think it's an alarmist approach by thinking that if I fire some things into ChatGPT, that is something that I created. It rewrites something. I then take that, run it through my own filter, and put it into something that's entirely original. I don't think that invalidates the originality of the entire product. That's part of how copyright works. Right. You can have a derivative work and still have it be uh, you know, copyrightable, which is the reason why if someone takes uh, an AI artwork that is based off of a sketch he entered in, and then they use Photoshop to create a more, a more distinct original piece, that is still original because they have done a transformative work. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a transformative work off of something that's not copyrightable, you can still copyright a transformable work. And that's why I, I, I'm pretty safe when I have 500 words out of a 16,000-word document are pulled from ChatGPT. I'm pretty confident that no one's going to come after me legally saying you can't copyright this because it has elements from ChatGPT. Oh. Now, I, of course, pay ChatGPT, so I am paying. I'm not using a, a, a system. And currently, ChatGPT only has one tier model priority access it doesn't have what is what some people call a commercial where a uh, commercial uh tier but i wasn't to, to be honest, i wasn't particularly saying this about because of you in particular but in, you know in in general uh i can imagine an awful lot of people wanting to use ChatGPT for the same reasons i'm using ChatGPT at the moment because it's very quick 
are generating uh, work. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to, yeah. to point that one out there um, because the it's copyright free might be true, but it's not the end of the story or everything there is to the story. So one has to be very careful when using this kind of emerging technology, because the other thing is that until it's not being regulated somehow, whether it is by law or by um, court rulings, anything can change from one day to the next. And today you may find yourself something that is illegal, that is, that there are no laws about it, and suddenly tomorrow what you have been doing is illegal and you're in trouble because it could be applied retrospectively. So uh, I'm just saying that uh, people wanting to use these sort of things commercially need to be very careful with what they do and make sure that they know exactly how they, they can use this technology or they could get into trouble. So Yeah, um, on to other topics. Mm -hmm. I, I know we're, we're, you know, I don't want to run us too long. On the opposite side yeah. of the incredible success of Stone Saga, uh, I am also witnessing the collapse of a game that did that did everything wrong. It's called The Wilderness, set up by Board Game Adventures. It has the spit and polish of what you would expect, but this is this is clearly their first Kickstarter. Quite literally, it says first created zero back. So basically, if you ever want a a, a class lesson on how to do everything wrong, mm -hmm. it's this company. The fact that. They created their first campaign without backing any projects themselves. That's usually a red flag. Ouch. They posted the campaign before they had any rules posted. So they originally just had how the game looked without any gameplay. They have since added that. That is so 2012. <laughs> and, it gets, and it gets worse. Wow. Uh, the creators got so overwhelmed in 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 all the background stuff, they didn't engage their fans, their backers, for several days, if not weeks. So now they are 16 days to go in their campaign. Their goal was 80,000 Canadian. They have raised 24. 24, full stop, not 24,000. 24,000 24, out of $80,000 goal. And so they are moving, but they are moving very, very slowly. And I'm worried about whether or not they're going to succeed. To be honest, considering how they're handling the campaign, I mean, I know that there are two different things, running a campaign and manufacturing a game, but if they are five times better at manufacturing their games as they are at running the campaign, that game's never going to see the, 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 the light of day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, It's very concerning. So it's like I said, I, I've been tracking it for a while, and then you, you, we're seeing the cancellations going up and down. Um, so what I to say is that if by tomorrow this thing hasn't made its goal and it won't, uh, we're looking at, unfortunately, a very, this is definitely a campaign that they're going to learn from. Uh, if they were to ask people, I would definitely say that they need to back a bunch of campaigns that they are following through with, learn, post some videos, um, and, and redo their campaign. Um, so, like I said, they've got uh, they've got two two reviews by people I don't know. Uh, like they need to put a bit more funding into this project. I mean, I, I made I made some similar mistakes, but even I didn't make many mistakes. But anyway, this is uh, the opposite. I don't want to rag on them too much, and I hope they they rebuild and learn from this and try again. 
but this is um, the wilderness, which looks like a big game. I don't know. It looks like a competitive game. There's a lot of minis, one to six players, solo or cooperative adventure experience, one to six players. Uh, so that was that was the wilderness by Board Game Adventures. Uh, the next story I have mm-hmm. involves Black Flag. Now, for the people who need to know, when the OGL fiasco hit its peak, a bunch of companies, major, major companies, decided to stand on their own. Um, one, of course, was Paizo, who pushed forward with Orc. Black, and then Cobalt Press decided to put their own, put forward with, with their own proprietary in-house system called Black Flag. It's now been a month since that announcement. They've announced, they finally released the first file of Black Flag. So we finally get an idea of what they're doing. What is Black Flag? And the answer is, it's exactly like 5e. It is a carbon copy of 5th edition with a few minor changes. Uh, I'm doing this workshop uh, once once every two weeks. And uh, it involves uh, designing a, a 5e variant that's still compatible with 5th edition. Mine is more different than these. It looks like that they have played with some terminology. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the levels, attribute, ability scores, they have changed race into heritage, which I think can be equally dangerous. And I don't know whether the I replaced it with species, and then you have your background. But heritage, I don't know. Heritage uh, that could be really tricky if you're not careful, in my opinion. I, it doesn't it doesn't sit right with me because um I mean what, what is it meant to mean heritage? Yeah, like a species, the human species, all we all share the same traits. We bring an alien, that's gonna be a little different. Heritage, are you implying like, and this is me like going like heritage, but like I have Portuguese heritage. Does that mean I get a plus two con? Exactly. Like, is it, exactly. And, and the thing is, know? I don't know, but it sounds a little bit bioessentialistic. You know, if, if you are a uh, an orc, you have orc heritage. So is, is every orc exactly the same? And, Aren't there different cultures that would allow orcs to be slightly different physically? For instance, if an orc, uh, you know, nation is in the North Pole of the planet or whatever it is you are, and they are sturdier, uh, cold-wise, and then you have an, uh, another nation of <coughs> orcs that it's in the middle of the desert, are they going to have well, exactly the same heritage? What's, what's that? The, 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 they're doing the same thing that D and D's using. They just reworded differently. Where the fact that you have a race, species, heritage selection, and then you have a background, and your background, so you could be an orc, an orc species, but you could have a background where you lived in a human society, and as a result, you don't act like them. And I can understand that. I'm looking at the idea, the fact that heritage to me always felt like it is cultural. Yeah, exactly. And if that's if that's a safe, you can't say this is the human heritage. Yeah. I go, no, 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 you can't say that. Which means you run the risk of going, this person's of Indian heritage, and would you create? And at that point, you're creating the same problems by saying that well, the Indian, people, these humans from, from this heritage, yeah. are going to have different physical abilities or mental abilities than people from this heritage. And you're back at the same problem. But also, you're saying that you know, uh, to, to continue with the example that you just made, you know, uh, that everybody from India has the same heritage. That's bullshit. You know, no, no, exactly. You could say the fact that Bangladesh, I go, exactly. When you look at the definition of the word heritage, that means they like, well, it means there could be 500 or a thousand heritages in, a single in on the planet Earth of, of in, in human alone. Because, hmm. in my opinion, heritage, I always think that the first selection is 
what you are before your own genetics and your choices of life. You are a human being. You are an orc. You are a Vulcan. That's what the first choice should be. The next choice is basically how you grew up. You know, what, exactly. how did your parents influence what you are? And then, and, and then after that, it's what did you choose to do with what those, what your, what your genetics gave you? And you can go in one of, in one of a thousand directions. And that's where species and, 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 and background or origin came from. Now with uh, ultra modern, I threw in this gigantic set of tables where you could determine who your parents were, how many siblings you had and so forth and your upbringing, which led you into this background. I just think that in their essence of trying to move away, they from moving away from race, they've spun around a 360 degrees and they've gotten back to what I think is another difficult terminology. And that's all they've announced. All they've announced is the basic structure, ability scores, and how things are built. They haven't introduced any actual rules. They've introduced the proficiency bonuses and the XP. And some people have been making comments about how the XP works. It is, once again, an exponential growth. Um, which is very common. It's semi-exponential. It is. It does go up a lot. Uh, so it's a very interesting set. But some people were a little surprised and go, "Oh, you're just making five E." And yeah. the objective of Black Black Flag is that you could have a Black Flag character and a D and D character, and they could enter the same campaign without a lot of differences. the The claim is that potentially the um, Black Flag character might be a bit more powerful. We'll see because one D and D is supposedly claimed to have characters that are a bit more powerful. So it'd be interesting to see whether or not they're compatible with one D and D characters. Well, we, we have, to be honest, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why they're continuing with this sort of thing now that the SRD is going to be Creative Commons. Uh, I just yeah, this I, is one of those. Yeah, I, th I think to be perfectly honest, I think that Watsi has outmaneuvered pretty much everyone. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or I was talking about this with somebody else, but I think that Watsi has outmaneuvered everyone else by saying, "Okay, you know what? You were right. Here it is. Creative Commons, all yours." And I know that there are still some people saying that they are still showing some signs that they want to deauthorize the OGL one point oh. Um. So I don't know if that is going to be the case. I can believe that they would still want to do that. Um, mm -hmm. But and I don't know if the new OGL is going to be uh, completely different. But the fact is that there is something already perfectly workable, perfectly usable, that is Creative Commons. And that is that ain't never going to change, ever. Yeah. Because once it's Creative Commons, taking it away would be a bit tricky. That would be very, very tricky. So I don't know what the one D&D is going to be like and what people will have to do in order to be able to jump in. But I also don't know what this, you know, new OGLs from COBOL or Paizo have to offer that Creative Commons doesn't. Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, to be honest, I would love somebody to explain Ooh. this to me, but I just don't know what can they do that will make their license more attractive than Creative Commons. What? Because other than adding extra access to more commercial IP, you know, to a larger chunk of their IP, I don't know how that would work. I really don't. Well, for me, the one thing I find interesting is that if I run a Kickstarter, I can say, I can put Orc, the Orc license badge, 
the Black Flag badge and the 5e badge. And when people are like, how are you compatible? Because I go, same. because all the systems are, they're all the same. I can put them in and show people going, this book is good compatible with all these three systems without changing anything. So I, that, that's what I think. I don't know what, I, I don't know what the point will be. I don't know if they're doing it out of inertia because they have started and thus they will finish. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's, um, um, I wonder what the differences are going to be like and how are they going to sell their licenses so people will sign with them rather than just... Right now, I think Cobalt is is banking on the goodwill from the fandom to carry us through. Um, like I said, we'll see. This is just the first file of many. We'll see what happens in the future. Yeah. Uh, I'm still doing my, my, my workshops just because they're fun to do. Oh, fair, fair Finally. 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 Uh, yesterday in the video game world, we saw the release of Hogwarts Legacy, Ooh, yeah. the the big big budget, critically acclaimed video game set in the Hogwarts setting. And of course, as you might imagine, there has been a lot of controversy about people that are trying to support this. Yeah. Uh, one of the people, one of the people I back on Patreon, James Stephanie Sterling, they went and they basically stated unequivocally. Regardless if this game is good or not, if you claim to be a, a, an ally of the trans community, you cannot play this game. If you play this game, go ahead and play it and enjoy it if you want to enjoy it. But don't tell me that you're a fan, you're a friend of the of the of the trans community because of what this game represents. It's a very impassionate speech, and I started thinking about the fact that there's about a half a dozen. <clears throat> board games set in the Harry Potter setting. We have one of them. Uh, bought years ago, the, the deck building game, which I don't care for anymore. <clears throat> and I wonder, um, and, and this was controversial because some people are posting negative reviews for this game, not because of the game, but because of what it represents. So the question that I ask is, should we should we approach board games in the same way? If a board game has this IP attached to it, should we say we are boycotting this? I don't really have an issue with the game company, but because you have this property, we're not going to support you. And should a reviewer, even a professional reviewer, post a negative review for a game purely because of what's around it, the meta around it, and rather than the game itself? Okay. Um, firstly, yes, I think we should do exactly the same with board games or on role-playing games, simple as that, um, because I absolutely despise what J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling represents. I, I, I just, uh, and I despise it for uh, many reasons, but one of them is that she's made a conscious decision to be harmful to the trans community. This is nothing to do with, as far as I'm concerned, um, it would be different for me if she had her views but didn't make them public. But she has literally gone, I saw a tweet from her where she literally said to somebody who'd been uh, kicked out of a community for having transphobic comments uh, because she was accused of being a turf, she literally said to her, welcome to the club. J.K. Rowling said, welcome to the club, to the TERF's club. And yeah. I thought, yeah. you're doing this on purpose now. This is this is not a mistake and you just shut up 
and say nothing and you still think whatever you want to think and you do whatever you want to do but you keep quiet no no you are now boasting that you are somebody who wants trans people to die and she's mocked them too to the point when people complain to her about how she's destroying her legacy because of these stance she mocks them by saying the royalty checks i cash sure make me feel really good so she she's the moment you hurt her financially is the only time she's going to take this seriously. And, and because she's got so much money, she never has to worry. And that's the problem with so many people nowadays. The fact that you, one person said something, uh, this was unrelated, said uh, it was based off, off of a movie. And somebody was making a movie and the guy who made the movie turned out to be a real toxic person. And the quote from the movie was that, you don't really know what a person lo- is like until they have a lot of power or money. Correct. And that's kind of the situation. It, it's it, it's astounding how you will... I think the same one was... It's amazing. You will see... If you give someone enough money, you will see who they really are. So um, so that's that's one. That's, that's why I absolutely despise what she represents. And that's why I would never buy or play a uh, Harry Potter um, game. Now... I don't belittle or begrudge people who do like them uh, because I understand that it's not my case, but I understand people who have grown up with Harry Potter. The books were released over a period of eight or nine years, I believe. That is taking people from the ages of 10 when you would start reading Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone to the ages of 19. That is their formative years. The media they consume during that time, the music they hear during that time, the books they read are the one, are going to be the ones that really shape part of their personality. You know, like comic books were for me and Dungeons and Dragons was for me. Um, uh, and, and I understand having that level of attachment to one IP. So I'm not... well, my, my wife loves Harry Potter. She grew up with Harry Potter because I was a bit too old for Harry Potter, but my wife is younger. So she, she grew up with it. She was like, she's the same age as Hermione Granger uh, or sorry. She's the same age as Emma Watson because Harry Potter's story is actually set further in the past right. than that. So, so there you go. Um, so that, that's why I wouldn't begrudge them. But what yeah. I would... And she's bought, she's bought all the movies. We have the whole set. She even bought the new series. She bought the new movies, the the Fantastic Beasts, and I can't watch them. And I'm not even saying I can't watch them because of what uh, J.K. Rowling has said. I can't watch them because they're shit. They are really. Uh, I. I um, they, this, this is uh, this is when I say something that I shouldn't say, but I'm going to say nevertheless. I have watched them because those are the kind of movies that I actually download. So I don't have to go to the cinema and I don't have to watch them on Netflix or HBO or anything at all like that. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I have an interest in the 3D aspect, you know, the computer-generated uh, stuff they do. Yeah. I do like Eddie Redmayne, so I wanted to watch it. So, yes. Yeah, the actors are great. So that's that's how I do it. I have that, that's why I did it. I have absolutely zero regrets to having done that. And... In the sense, uh, yeah, the third one is just. But oh they are God, absolutely appalling yeah. films. So as to to go back to the to the gaming aspect of the whole thing, um, 
yes, I think that we should do exactly the same with board games, the uh, uh, Hogwarts-based. And about your question regarding reviewers, no. If you're going to review the game, um, regardless of your views, you, you either say to the game, I will not play this because the author you know, of the IP is, is a piece of shit, in which case you are reviewing J.K. Rowling, not the game, which is totally cool and totally fine. But if you're going to play the game and review the game, then you think you owe everyone to be honest about whether you thought the game was good or bad. But to, if you like the game, if you thought the game was good, to say that it is bad because you disliking J.K. Rowling and her views, that's disingenuous. That That is lying. And I cannot possibly condone that. If you don't want to, you can say, I will not because this is shit. I refuse to, which is totally fair enough. Uh, you can just say nothing about those games and instead devote your time to reviewing other games that deserve more attention. <laughs> but to say this game is bad because I don't like the author, that's, that's pretty poor. I, I don't condone that at all. Yeah, because there's two two examples that came up that are topical. There's a guy named Bob Chipman. Uh, he's a typical cisgender white male. Uh, he's about my age group. I think he's about a couple of years younger than me. And when the re and when the third uh, Fantastic Beast came out, when his review video got posted, it wasn't a review. It was him ranting for four minutes, saying, "This is why I'm not going to review this piece of shit." Which is fine. And he reviewed. And he refused to, but the whole video was him saying that this is why I'm not going to review it. I'm not going to review it. I'm not going to watch it. And because I'm not going to support this person. Going back to what I said about James Stephanie Sterling, they posted a review of another game called Dead Space. Dead Space is a very, very popular game. Um, it's a very, it's a, it's a franchise. They had one, two, and three, and the franchise kind of fell out. The studio that made the game Visceral got closed by the Electronic Arts. The people who were in that studio that uh, either weren't transferred, left, and formed their own company. They made a competing game called The Coastal Protocol, which <clears throat> um, uh, kind of bombed. It was critically derided when it came out uh, two months ago. And then EA, which still owned the Dead Space franchise, went and uh, gave the, the rights to the remake to, a new, uh, to one of their subsidiaries, EA Motive. And EA Motive uh, handled the remake of the original Dead Space. They improved on it in every way, shape, and form. I bought this game. Um, and before he, before they did the review, uh, uh, Sterling commented how some people are getting triggered by it because there's one line of dialogue where a female character refers to her girlfriend and the fact that the bathrooms on the decrepit alien-infested ship were unisex. And quite literally, people have, yes, idiots have been, have been trolling the reviews specifically because the game is woke for the express purposes, is because it has unisex bathrooms. That's their entire justification. One line of dialogue at the beginning of the game and the unisex bathrooms. And they're calling the game woke. And so Sterling mocked them for that ridiculous stance. But then when they posted the review, they gave it a horrendously negative review, not because of the game, but because the what the game represents, which is a remake of a game that they loved, made by people that were then subsequently fired by this company's parent company. So this pretzel little arrangement, they gave the game a 5 out of 10. They were going to give it a 1 out of 10 because they hate the parent company, AA, 
and the fact that EA gave the responsibilities of remaking a classic game to the subsidiary when they shut down the original company that made the original game. And they love that game. This game is better, but they gave it a negative review because of the politics around no, the game. And a lot of people, including myself, said that I, I might think it is unethical. If you're going in, if you hate the idea of this game existing, don't, don't review, don't review it. it. They're, they're not going to review Hogwarts. I know that because they, they did a video that got posted yesterday explaining everything. It's a great video. So just you see it. But I criticize them for posting a review for Dead Space because like this is a good game on its own. EA Motive are not the people that fired Visceral Studios. They're a new company. They have their head in the right place. They improved the story, the gameplay, they fixed all the stuff that was annoying. And then they decided to have fun and troll the couple and tro troll the right wingers by putting some something as simple as a unisex bathroom. And it's just like stuff like that going, we know we're going to trigger people and we don't give a shit because EA Motive is in Canada and they have unisex, unisex bathrooms at their studio. So they made the bathrooms unisex in there. And so it's a great game. I played through it two and a half times and I realized I had a job to do. So I had to put it away. But I was upset. A lot of people were upset going, no, you don't guess that. You shouldn't have reviewed this game unless you're going to review it blankly. If you don't want to review it because of, the, of what EA did, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Same reason why you're not going to review Hogwarts. But to give Dead Space a bad review because of its parent company, not even the company who made the game, the people who own the company and they made the game, that seems a little disingenuous. I, I think, um, I'm, I'm, to be honest, one, I am really tired of, uh, you know, human, mostly male fragility about this. You know, oh, everything is woke. Oh, you're so woke. That's, that's freaking bullshit. Uh, and I have now completely and flatly refuse to have any kind of conversation with somebody who says this is too woke unless they give me a definition of what they mean by woke. Exactly. So uh, until they do that, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared because they are just using the term woke, which in a very racist way, because the, the origins of woke are nothing like uh, what people think it is. And it's 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 a it's, it's a very racist thing. It's a racist thing to do to use it, uh, but also they use it in a uh, quite a reactionary manner, which I don't think is, is healthy or conducive to anything. So yeah, um, just yeah. The, the best the best part. Someone's going to say to me like, "Chris, you've gone rogue," and I'm like, "Gone." It's, it's almost born like that. Come on, it's bullshit. So he's like, I he's like, like because because amethyst has has been. Before the term woke it got pushed into the lexicon, my game was uh, Amethyst, which is my my first big product, was always criticized for having um, progressive politics. So now, of course, when it comes out, it's got people going to say, this game is woke. I'm like, oh, it's good to know that you're trying to figure out what that term means because you obviously haven't read the original game when it came out in 2008, mm. have you? This hasn't changed. One of the things that I was concerned about with the these revisions to the OGL was I am trying to make, I'm trying to make political statements. I'm trying to create allegories and to, and it's going to be very disruptive and upsetting to people who I wish to upset. It's going to piss people off that I wish to piss off. But the question is, you might look at it and go, yes, but you're pissing people off. We want rounded edges in our D and D games. And that was the question I wanted to ask. I'm going, were you referring to anything that had art edges? or specifically the toxic ones? Specifically the toxic ones to the people we don't care about, right? Is this one of those situations where I was curious, like, oh, can I still make 
my allegories? Can I still make my political statements? I'm pretty anti-religious in most of my stories. Can I still do that? Kind of thing. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't you be able to do that? That was the question people had. That was the question I had about where this morality piece, where did they draw the line? And I brought up the Dice Tower. The Dice Tower, I literally said, all videos have to be watched by a five-year-old. So I couldn't say, darn. I couldn't even say the word heck. That's as rounded edges as you can. What if Watsi came came down and said, no, this is we want this game to be able to be read by 10-year-olds. So don't put anything offensive at all to any side. Well, what is, and then it, but, but, but the thing we, we would go back into, what is actually offensive? I don't care about offense. Offense can go and fuck itself. And people who get offense, offended can do the same thing. I'm not interested in offense. I'm interested in harm. Yeah, you know, that, no, that, that, that's a great wording. That's a great. That's a great way of saying that. I like that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit if people get offended if if I say something controversial. I care if I what I say does harm to people. You know, uh, simple as that. So yeah, I think we need to get a grip with that differentiation because again, it's. Oh no no! Don't offend anyone. No no, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to offend Christians sometimes and Jewish people sometimes because I think their beliefs are just rubbish at times, okay. and that that's that's the end of it. And I'm going to say, you know, oh fucking hell, and that may offend some people because of the word fucking and the word hell all in the same sentence together can be absolutely horrible. But I don't care about offense. I care about harm and harming people. And this is one of the reasons why I tend to, you know, I've always been known for criticizing things. I tend not to criticize people. I criticize yeah. things. Unless I can criticize and shall criticize people like anti-vaxxers because they are complete and utter moronic assholes. And if they're offended, I hope they're watching the video so they can see exactly what I think of their offense. Double-sided. Uh, you know, I, I don't care about that offense. I don't care about the offense if I offend somebody who is telling me that gay people are going to go to hell. I don't, why should I care about offense? I care about harm. So, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's my that's take it. That's thing. it for me, though. I got all my news stories out. Good. So uh, what do we talk about now? <laughs> You can talk about the games you played because I have not played any games. Last well, night. last night I played for the first time in my entire life uh, Alhambra. What? For the first time, yep. really? Mm -hmm. I've never played wow. Alhambra before. And now I think I am going to get a copy and never play Carcassonne again. It's way simpler to play than Carcassonne. Uh, for those of you people who have never played Alhambra, please get a copy of that game because it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's got some good things and it's got some funny things, um, but mostly good things. Uh, in that game, you're going to have in the center uh, a little board with four colors, you know, ochre, yellow, green, and blue, and a number of cards with some values on them. And that's going to be your coins, you know, your currency that you can use to buy tiles with buildings that are placed on that board with the four colors. And what you're meant to do is to buy those tiles and put them on your in front of you and build your Alhambra, build your, your own city. 
and during different times in the game, the game will stop and you will accrue points depending on what kind of buildings you have. And if you have, if you're the player with the largest amount of buildings of a specific color, and there are five colors to it, I think, or six. It's super gentle. There is the right amount of player interaction. There is the right amount of competitiveness. There is the right amount of putting tiles on the table in a way that would be aesthetically pleasing. And also having to be careful that you can place them in one way or another because there are restrictions as to how you can put them on the table. It, the, the game looks absolutely gorgeous and it plays in about an hour, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, which is great. And it is way easier to explain than Carcassonne. Much, much easier. So it was a huge win for us. Huge, huge win. We loved it. So that, that's the game, the only game I've played, and um, a board game. And we finished our campaign of Forbidden Lands on Saturday. Really? Yeah, we've been playing Forbidden Lands, Free League's uh, game, for about a year now. Uh, this huge, huge, huge campaign. And we are loving it. And I have so many games from Free League to review but it is very likely that this year I'm only going to play um, three different systems. Um, Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and Free League. I'm not going to have the chance to try pretty much anything else because I have Blade Runner to read and review. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, Alien as well, and uh, Vesen mm -hmm. is on its way. And then I have Swayhander, which also but that's not from Free League. Uh, and there's game of wine tourism that I heard you got. Yeah, but that's a board game, not a role-playing game. Board games I'm playing one oh. at least one board game a week. And even that, I have right now in my queue of board games to play this year about 60 games. Oh, that's a, that's a, that'll take that's yeah, that'll take me, you for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's gonna keep me very, very busy. Well, until until Spiel. So I have to play all these games before Spiel, because by the time I come back from Spiel. I will have another bunch of games to play in 2023 and 2024. So I'm going to be freaking busy. Wow. So so there you go. That, that's what we planned this, this past week. And Forbidden Lands, I need to do a whole um, monographic about it because uh, it's uh, quite a game. Have you, have you played it or read it? Alhambra? No, uh, Forbidden Lands. Oh, Forbidden Lands. Um... Probably, I, I haven't played it. It's, it's a role-playing game. It's not. It's not a board game. Oh, uh, no, I have not played because I basically I run my own games. But uh, I have seen this before, so I have seen this cover. Uh, I've played Alhambra maybe half a dozen times, mind you. I love Alhambra. So, so there you yeah, go. So that's okay. um, that's that's where I've been playing this week. Nothing else. Yep. That's and uh, I've been so concentrating on working. Um, my game as of now, as a recording of this afternoon on Tuesday, mm -hmm. my campaign game uh, Affinity is finally shipping to backers after wow. two months waiting. It's been on. It's been at the distributor since middle of of December, um, and finally, um, fans are coming back with uh, tracking notices. Good, excellent. Right. So, shall we go on to the last section of, of the show, where I have a cautionary tale to tell to people? Oh, please! I I'm baited. Um, 
Right. Okay. Uh, as uh, as you may know, I mean, I know that you, Chris, know, but people may or may not know. I had up until twenty nineteen, I had a publishing business called Mindscape Publishing, where I published a few books in in Spain. Some of them written by myself. Uh, some of them a couple of adventures by Cobalt Press. I published uh, some Jim Pinto's uh, game Home. I did as well. Uh, Children of the Fall and the Cthulhu Hack. And I had a couple more licenses that never came out. Uh, and the reason for that is I closed my business because I received such a ginormous and brutal and cruel campaign of bullying and harassment uh, by somebody that I decided that I didn't want to be dealing with that shit anymore. Now, the reason I quit is not necessarily because that wanker was attacking me, uh, but because he was attacking the people that I was working with uh, not just myself, but the people that I was working with, and because there was a massive silence, not just from a huge chunk of the community, but also from other publishers who just stood sat by uh, because that guy was not targeting them. And I thought, you know, I really don't want to work for people like you. Um, if you're the kind of people who see somebody beating somebody up, somebody else up in the street, and you do nothing because, you know, oh, you need to listen to both sides. You can go fuck yourself, and I'm not interested. So, and I've been very critical very often about uh, Spain's um, scene, especially online RPG scene, because it's toxic as hell. It's absolutely, stupidly, ridiculously toxic and disgusting. And I want nothing to do with that. So, I heard um, that this guy who um, orchestrated the, the bullying and harassment campaign against me, uh, came back to the Spanish scene after having disappeared for a year and a bit or two years. Um, he disappeared just before the uh, pandemic stroke. So 2020, perhaps 2019 even, at the end. And he's back. Okay. And now, uh, by the way, I'm not going to give any names. Neither of this guy or the books that he's working with, um, because I don't want to attract any attention to that man, and I don't want to attract any hatred or any kind of attention to the author either, because uh, they are completely powerless at the moment. Um, he claims that he's going to have, he's going to create his own cryptocurrency so people can buy his games. Because he lives in a nation country, in Thailand, to be precise. Now, I don't know if you know anything about working laws in Thailand, but you cannot get a work permit. That's it. If you want to have a company in Thailand, you have to hire Thai people. You can visit as a tourist, you can stay as a resident, but you cannot work in there. And he lives... And the way that he's trying to circumvent that uh, Thai law is by creating his own cryptocurrency and then using that to sell the books. Now, what I have to say is this guy joined up with a Spanish shitty, absolutely appalling uh, publisher to release a few games that they crowdfunded. They have four crowdfunded campaigns with an amount of about 30 to 35,000 euros in total between them, none of those products and projects have been delivered. 
they are like four years um, overdue. And there is a going, coming and going from between this uh, publisher that's now gone out of business as well. And this guy, where the publisher says, you didn't give us the, everything that you said you were going to give us. And he's saying, I gave you everything and you didn't do your work. I think it's a combination of neither of them did their work. So um, this guy says now that he's going to take on all those four projects and release them, but that he's going to have to refund them because he's been conned out of money. Which I find completely and utterly laughable. And if anyone is stupid enough to give this guy money, you deserve whatever happens to you because your IQ, you can count with the fingers in one single hand. Sorry, you're stupid. You're truly and utterly stupid. So there you go. Go ahead. But, and this is where... I, I always wonder why people do that. I have no idea how charismatic charismatic some people can be to get someone oh, I have stories of that but go ahead. so um, the problem for me comes when somebody I know and I know to be a very good person happens to have a book that was going to be published by another publisher that went down without any announcements and without any reasons or without anything at all given um, about three years ago the guy just completely disappeared. And now this Thai guy is, is not Thai, he's Spanish, but he lives in Thailand, so I don't want to, people to be saying that. He claims that he's going to release this book that was with another publisher because the license has been transferred to him. And he's going to sell this book for 50 of his um, crypto coins. So I'm a bit Oh my God, no, 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 no. So um, essentially what happened is that this author signed a contract transfer to this Kong man because he didn't know anything about him at all. And now he's tightened the contract and will not end until 2025. Now, I would be very surprised if the book sees the light of day I just don't think it's, it's going to happen. And I also get very worried that if it does happen, it's going to become a toxic IP that people will not want to touch anymore because of the treatment that it's received. So um, this is one of the very many stories that I could tell about Sponge scene. And at one point, I would probably give some names as well because um, I have so many stories of shitness that is just absolutely ridiculous so um i wrote a post in in facebook uh just saying to people which this could be extrapolated not just to spain but to pretty much any other country out there if you want to publish your game in a language in a country that's not yours don't blindly trust that the company you're signing with or wants your work is going to be able to do it or it's the right company for you i have offered many times to just go over and just tell me who you're going to work in Spain with. Just just, just to let me know. And I will tell you uh, if they have any kind of dirt that you may want to be aware of. 
if I tell you, you know, this company has had these kind of flames, they have people who have these kind of views, and you still want to continue with them, then so be it. But I know people that have said, Paco, what about this company? And when I said to them, look, this is the story, the history they have in the past. This is what they're doing now. And this is these are their views. And some people have said, yep, nothing to do with them. I'm off. And some people have said, okay, yes, but I'm going to ask them to have so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so in place so I don't get done by them. So you can at least play with it. So I think it's a very important thing to do, seek references from somebody or some buddies who either you know and trust they have the right knowledge or who have worked for that company. And if you don't know anyone, make sure that you draft a contract yourself. Don't leave it to the company to draft it. Do it yourself when the conditions are good for you and two of those conditions, always make sure that they are that you have a deadline for publication. And if they don't publish within that deadline, whether it is one or two years, everything comes to back to you with no refunds on the advance they give you. And that if they stop publishing the book, the translation goes back to you as well. So you can continue to exploit it. Always have to make sure that those things are in the contract because otherwise, you are completely powerless to change directions if you see that the publisher is not the right one for you and your IP could become really, really toxic by then. So um, that, yeah, that's that what's was, been that's, going on. Uh, that happened with me, not the negative part, but uh, my contract with Goodman Games when I published Amethyst, there was a clause that says, if he decides to stop publishing it, the IP reserves back to me which is the reason why I still own the rights to my IP. Otherwise, you could have absolutely nothing, nothing at all. And they would be within the rights saying, oh, you signed the contract. Um, it doesn't have an expiry date. So unless you pay me so and so and so for compensating because we might be wanting to publish it in the future, then so be it. So yeah, so yeah that, that was my cautionary tale. Be please, 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 please very careful if at any point you want to sign your contract in a country that's not yours in a language that you don't speak um, because culture makes many changes from country to country in the way that companies behave within role-playing games or board game publishing well there you go so it's a cautionary tale yeah, very, very much indeed. One, one day I need to, I should, I should sort out a number of stories of uh, things that have been, have happened in, in my country that, you know, would be like, what the fuck is this? Um, like, you know, community managers being paid in published books by the um, publishers. So if you run our, our Twitter and our social media, we will give you books, every book that we publish. And it's like, I can buy food with that. Yeah, exactly. You go to you know to the supermarket, give a, a book, and you get a tomato bag. Kind of thing. Wow. So so yeah, loads and loads and loads of things. So be very very careful. Um, and that's it. I don't have anything else to say. Um, mostly because it's uh, twenty five to eleven, and I am really running on fumes. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I I, I covered everything. I said next week uh, we'll have uh, we'll have hopefully an interview lined up we'll go live again yes 
We're going to try and be very punctual from now on, humans, so we can go live uh, and hopefully get the chat thing sorted as well, because I'd love to be able to interact with humans or whoever is watching on here. I wouldn't have a way of knowing. So that would be great. Anyway, humans, thank you very much indeed for being there. Uh, truly, genuinely appreciate it. We'd love to hear your opinions on the games that we've mentioned and talked about all the topics. And you can email us at podcast at gmsmagazine.com. I promise I will get back to you. Uh, get in touch on Twitter, where I am way too often, as I am on Facebook. And both places, I am at GMS Magazine. And this has been Chris from DSX Machina. You can find me at DSX Machina on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, I'm finally queuing videos that are not uh, Degu related. So they're finally going up. I have a whole queue. I have videos going up every two or three days from now until the end of the month or so. I've got a whole bunch more to come too. And um, before I let go, I would like to uh, make a poll, people. Uh, you need to answer yes or no. Then the question is, will by next week, Will I have received uh, the videos that I've been asking Chris to send me for the last two weeks? Yes or no? I'll leave it there.